So you can hear me nicely? Loud and clear. Same for me, I hope. Yeah, I can hear you. Good. Wonderful. So uh, let me just say a little bit about what this is, how I've ended up doing this and what's different about talking to you, especially for people who are listening. So this started off with me um, dragging a friend of mine and a film crew around, um, getting the chance to speak to some people that I found that I, you know, interesting folk that I wanted to raise this big question, what is life with and see what, how people responded. Cause I carry that around with me all the time. And then that kind of came to an end cause that's quite a big thing to do. Um, and I've continued going, well, I'm, I just want to keep having the conversation with people on zoom. So I've had that. And then this is a, the first one where, um, you commented on things that you'd seen and, I, and, and it came up, hey, I think you suggested, why don't we have a conversation? And I looked at what you're up to, it looked really, really interesting. Um, you describe yourself as a Whiteheadian, which is particularly interesting to me. Um, so unlike my other things, apart from the, the stuff that a little bit of, that I've read, we're starting off really from ground zero. Because I, I, I think unlike normally, I would like, to ask you to say a little bit about yourself, Matt, and how you know you're in this conversation before we launch into anything. Oh, sure. Um, well, thanks, Tim, for for accepting my my request, and and you know I was just so excited after I found um, your YouTube channel and watched some of the interviews that you did with you know people who who I also think are doing great work um, and are really exciting to uh, to learn from. Um, but you know, like you, I'm um, someone who is fascinated by um, the scientific picture of the universe, but who also has, um, whether because of luck or uh, karma or um, you know who knows what, my own decisions and, and choices in life, has had these spiritual experiences that make me realize, oh. Um, the scientific picture is only part of the, the story and that there's more going on here. And the uh, inner reality of soul life is just as consequential uh, as the outer reality that's been measured and cataloged and analyzed uh, so thoroughly by what we call modern science. Um, so, you know, I've been, I think I've been a philosopher since I was about seven years old. <laughs> um, if I had to put a, you know, a, a date on it, um, you know, when I realized that I was, not only was I going to die, but my, it was really when I realized my mother was going to die, it threw me into this whole reflective oh, mood of consciousness that hasn't really left me since then, just meditating on death. Uh, and so my, my philosophical interest started, started pretty young and, um, you know, at various phases of my life, I encountered other, I guess, traditions that helped me understand uh, this mood of, that that contemplating death sort of threw me into. Uh, and more recently, as a as a scholar and a professor, I've really gotten into the work of Alfred North Whitehead, um, who I think I have to credit with teaching me to think in a metaphysical way, um, where metaphysics is just the strenuous effort to think clearly um, mm. about the nature of reality. And so, you know, Whitehead has given me a, a language and a method 
and shared a vision with me that I think is very compelling. And it's, it's certainly oriented me for like the last decade in my inquiry into these, these mysteries. Um, but, uh, you know, the whole history of Western philosophy has been um, an important formative influence <laughs> on me. Um, That's a great line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, I, and I feel a sense of responsibility to inherit that, that tradition um, because I feel like it is still uh, vibrant and alive and uh, can be valuable for our contemporary situation. So you have to excuse me a second, Matt. I've got some lights on here because it's dark where I am. Yeah. It's, it's getting a bit hot. So I'm just going to, I might, oh. so when you have glasses, you steam up when it gets hot. And I want to be able to see you. So yeah, I'm having the opposite problem. It's cold over here. It, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it is normally cold over here. It's been cold all day, <laughs> but now I've got these lights on. If I, yeah. I might have to switch them off, they get, they get a bit, um, they get a bit warm. Yeah, no problem. Make yourself comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to do, settle in. So, and, and you're a professor where? Uh, at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Okay, yeah. right, of course, yes. Um, in the same program as uh, the cosmologist Brian Swim, that's who Brian. you interviewed a little while yeah. ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I really loved that conversation with Brian. So, great. Let's, um, let's, let's come in then with my my question and let's see where we go um yeah. you know you've been looking at this since you were seven <laughs> what is it what do you think this is that we're in that we're experiencing mm. right now it's uh it's a process of yeah. trying to wake up i think <laughs> uh which is to say that you know there's it feels like um there's no end to that process. Mm -hmm. And when I first, you know, I, you know, seven is like an arbitrary age, yeah, but course, I think, yeah. uh, you know, when I was like in my late teens, I started really getting into meditation and, and studying Eastern philosophy and trying to understand what this is in terms of an, like a, an, a switch I could flick somewhere inside my mind that would just awaken me. And that enlightenment was just something that it was that quick and permanent. And then you were just there and you, you finally arrived in a fully awake state of consciousness and could perceive reality for what it is. And then, you know, I think I kind of became a little disillusioned with that understanding of enlightenment because my life continued to unfold. Like I thought I had had these experiences and they kept, happening in states of meditation or psychedelic exploration and I was like okay well I have these experiences of oneness and I feel like I'm connected to um, the ultimate nature of reality and it's so blissful and wonderful and then um, then I get hungry or then my mom calls or then like oh it's time to go to work and um, the laundry's piling up and so like life went on and all the complexity of being human in, you know, a, a society and uh, um, aging and uh, illness and all these things, they didn't go away, you know. So it makes me feel now that um, this, is, this is a process, this reality that um, isn't as simple as uh, just being 
just being. It's not just being. There's something becoming, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And it not doesn't quite just know being. What... That's really good. That's a really good. It's not just being. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this isn't just being. It is being, but it's not just being. It keeps mm-hmm. on changing. It's becoming something. And there is a form of spirituality, which I think is very dominant. So my path has been very similar, um, obviously, a few decades before you, but of that same thing, that kind of, ah, it, the, the message I was hearing was it is about just being and if you can just be in the right way. And, and, then, and then coming back to, hang on, but I'm in a process of becoming and not just me, but the whole universe is in a process of becoming. And having to question the message I hear from the traditions, especially the ones that came around at the Axel Age and, and have been with us ever since, that, that somehow the becoming is a trap from which we need to escape. Mm-hmm. And then arriving, you know, one of the reasons I love Brian is he was formative in me listening to the evolutionary story and going, hang on, this seems really meaningful, amazing, beautiful, actually and gives this human existence meaning over and above being a problem to get away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that what you're describing similar? similar? I think so. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's it. I mean, I think, you know, evolution is a, is a pretty um, earth-shattering uh, paradigm shift that has occurred in only the last couple hundred years right yeah uh and i think it's extraordinary you know making sense of that evolutionary picture where we see that this whole universe is this energetic event it's a process of becoming we think we can kind of see where it came from though it sort of recedes into a singularity and like we just can't see beyond that singularity the laws of physics break down and all that and it seems like maybe it's headed somewhere and it's accelerating and um, but we don't quite know where that is, where it's all heading either. Um, we're just in the middle of it. And I really think of, you know, ev- the, the discovery of um, evolutionary, not only biology, but cosmology. Cosmology, yeah. Um, is, it's just as uh, difficult for our religious traditions to wrap their heads around as it is for scientific materialism to wrap its head around it it undoes a certain simplistic understanding of like creationism just as much as it undoes a simplistic materialism so evolution forces us to uh, really shift our sense of what ultimate reality is and you know people like you uh, I, I feel a kinship with because I feel like these religious traditions these wisdom traditions are still meaningful to us but we realize how Um, there's a very new context that these traditions need to be, I guess, translated um, uh, into so that they can serve our new, our new sense of like existential, um, our new sense of existence in an evolutionary universe. I think, yeah, I really feel that. I I think a big thing for me was, I, I don't know when this happened for me, but was, was thinking, you know, I don't want to, there's a, even in the word tradition, there's a conservatism about spirituality. It's one of the few areas in life where if you go, oh, it's thousands of years old, people go, oh, that's good. You know, you, if it was brain surgery, you just wouldn't think that was good. You know, <laughs> like, really? Yeah. <laughs> but in the spirituality, oh, how old? Oh, can it, you know, the older, the better. 
and my feeling is very much that my aspiration when i look at the people the 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 people who've who i admire in the history of spirituality it's like it's my greatest aspiration would be to do what they did and what it strikes me is that the people that we still explore their ideas and know their names is because they changed things they actually marked a juncture where things evolved and they did it in a fresh way they reinvented they took things which were perennially true and they they saw them in a new light and that sense of spirituality is itself evolving i think is absolutely key so it just feels like look like like just as einstein was standing on the on the shoulders of newton who himself said he was standing on the shoulders of giants it's that kind of sense of we're we're absolutely doing that but our duty to them is not to just repeat it's to actually evolve yeah and i think that's right and from another angle the whole history of religion and religious experience has been um a series of renewals and and uh there's already been an evolution occurring um, an evolution of consciousness, right? So luckily we don't have to be the first to rethink how we relate to the divine. <laughs> we, we're, 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 you know, we're the end of a very long process in which people have been doing that the whole time. But there's, mm-hmm. there, is, there is more, I mean, maybe that's not true. Maybe there's in every area where things become established, there is a, there is a weight, a, a passivity, a, a, a kind of weight to the past, which makes it resistant to move on and that can happen really fast i mean one of the things which fascinates me is that i've seen a non-dual spirituality in the west i've seen it arrive from the point where no one i knew knew the word non-duality or advaita no one mm. to the point where there was someone teaching advaita on every street corner <laughs> and a sense that this that the kind of neo-advaitic thing when it became strong was that people were just hearing it and going along. It was just the reality, you know. Your, yourself is an self is an illusion. Life has no meaning. It's you just see through, and then you've got the understanding, and you've arrived. For instance, and then yeah. suddenly there's a whole thing. It's in the collective, and and it and it and it and it then it then it, you know the, the, it needs questioning. It has to be pushed. Yeah, I think um, you know I I identify strongly with a certain. Um, lineage in that history coming out of the Jewish prophetic tradition because of the way that it doesn't separate. Um, and there are different traditions that do the same thing, but it doesn't separate spiritual realization from like socio-political um, you know, justice movements, which mm-hmm. is to say that there's, there's a way in which um, whatever the nature of God is, it's not somehow something you could just escape out of this world into. It's something that would transform this world. Yeah. Um, and I worry that some of these, you know, the way that this non-dual spirituality has caught on, um, it lends itself very easily to, a, you know, it gets called spiritual bypassing or a sense of escapism where... It's, it's a kind of a, there's a kind of a, I mean, you know, these are massive kind of crazy generalizations, of course. Of course. Yeah, you know, go close <laughs> We've only been speaking for 10 They're minutes, all so, so different, <laughs> but there's a sense in which I think it's one of the things you can see with the, the Eastern traditions and the kind of the Judeo-Christian mm. traditions tend to be much more, which is, and much more willing to endorse the indiv- in, individual. I don't think it's any coincidence that individuality has taken off so strongly in the West. And personally, I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and and has been much slower in the east and yet 
we've often had to go to the east to find that other side to spirituality that transcendent side mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's like uh, people who are in a way over individuated in the west are seeking community and people yeah. maybe in, in general terms right in the east are are really um seeking to escape that sense of um suffocation by community where you're not allowed to do anything that your family doesn't approve of or you know etc but so one of the things which I, I, I kind of i've been playing with recently is this is to have I've, I've, i make up lots of words because i can't find words for what i mean although sometimes right. i find that there are words that other people have found but i didn't know them so i've started thinking if it feels to me like in that process of evolution we're, we are individuating, we're become, the, 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 that as psyches, as souls, as individuals, we're becoming more particular. And that what, when you said this, this is a process of waking up, that what we're going into, the next phase of that, is that having individuated, it becomes more possible to what, what I call unividuate, become an individual conscious of unity. And my, my, the sense of excitement I get, the reason I do this, the reason it's great to speak to you, especially, you know, in all honesty, because you're younger than me i love that because it feels like ah look this is the next this is the wave that's coming up and in it to take this forward this process in which we, we're we're enabling ourselves to 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 think for ourselves to be ourselves not part of the unconscious collective where we just go along with whatever we're born into we can doubt that we can we can individuate and become autonomous from it and that gives us enough soul strength as it were the robustness to be able to to become conscious of this this fundamental oneness from which mm. we are arising and to which we are reaching up as well and and that we're in that that in my, on my positive days it feels like yeah i think we're in a process of unividuating onto it that's the next step for us yeah yeah well that's why i you know conversations like this are so exciting because um for uh I think, you know, one of the things I learned as I got through my late teens and trying to discover enlightenment within um, is that there's also a social dimension to waking up and that um, finding communities of others who are also on a similar path is really important. Um, and that there's, there's a form of consciousness that can only emerge in conversation between people so it's not just an individual thing maybe maybe it's a, a a individual thing i like i love this this term that you've that you've coined um because it it allows us to um both you know retain our sense of individual freedom but also um to exercise and express that freedom in a way that is um amplified yeah because you know and you know there's like there's a there's a way in which you know I think of the uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Burning Man. I am. Where there's, it's a, I've, it, I've not been, but I've, well, it's, I've, it's, I've been it's invited this, constantly, but I've not made it. I think you would appreciate the culture that emerges there for the way that it both celebrates the individual and celebrates community and celebrates a certain form of community that is all it's completely devoted to this the elevation of the individual. Um, but in a way that's not, that doesn't become a, like me, 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 um, but that is more like, there's a more loving sense of, we all deserve to discover our own unique 
uh, gift in our own unique way of expressing ourselves. And it's a whole form of like ritual spirituality orient or oriented around fostering this type of awareness. Um, and there's a shadow side, of course, too, but it just strikes me as a, as a laboratory where the experimentation with this type of consciousness is occurring. Yeah. So I, I think one of the shifts, and I hear it coming from various quarters now, is to stop thinking of, of awakening as an individual. It is individual, but it's also not individual. It, by its very nature, it's something we're doing together. And, and a lot of the practices I do with people are all about connection. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to run a retreat at New Year, and it will be all about connection. It will all be about having such a profound connection with each other that it's just absolutely overwhelming. And what I see that happens with that is that, you know, it's fun. I had a, a woman turn up today, actually, um, about something else completely, or seeing my wife, Debbie. And she, I, I never talked to her, but she'd come to a big event I did in Glastonbury, where I live, where I just brought people in and had them profoundly connect with each other in a beautiful setting with lovely music for about an hour. And she just described how she'd been terrified. She just thought, oh God, I can't stay here, I've got to go. And then I thought, no, I'll stay. And then sat down with somebody and started gazing with them and thought, this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. But by the end said it was the best experience of her life, that she'd just been overwhelmed by what had happened. And, and so I, I have really come around to thinking, look, this, if the more we can foster these, it feels like we need two things. We need deep connection, which get, breaks us, trans, so that individuality, it transcends the individual. And we need meaning, because like you said, we have the experience, you wake up, it's like, wow. It's, and then there's life. And those two are not, they're two, they're not different. They're the same process. And the life bit, it feels like that's where the philosophy is important to have, to have something which can genuinely have meaning and, and, and not just arbitrarily, but by actually addressing our experience as it is with all of its ambiguity. And if we can feel like we can bring those two together, we can, we can really, we can move this forward. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, um, you know, the whole uh, human beings are part of, um, an evolutionary process that's more than just our individual species, right? It's yeah. really the whole planet. Yeah. At least, but if we shift the scale of what's evolving to the level of the planet, like we're one species in this ecosystem and we've reached a phase of earth evolution where human beings to be most of service to the evolutionary process can't just become renunciates and wander off into the desert or the forest to discover inner enlightenment. Um, there, there's, you know, there's like literally almost no forest left. Um, there, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah. um, no, oh God, what a thought. <laughs> so we have to go deeper into, into this um, relational matrix and see in what ways that spirituality can be transformative. Um, one of, of, one of the shared experience. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Matt. What, just because you said that, it feels like one of the things which I was thinking just last week, so it felt like one of the, the a phrase which kind of captures it for me is that reality is relationship. And this might have something, you might be able to tell me what Whitehead's saying about this, because it feels to me, I don't think this is all one. I think this is all one and two at the same time, or it's one thing in relationship with itself, or it's one thing observing itself from every perspective that it's the meeting of object and subject, oneness and manyness. Uh, it's, 
formless and form. Yeah. All those things are coexisting. And the, 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 therefore, the very fabric of everything we're experiencing is relationship, is relation, relational. Right. And right. past and future, all of that. Yeah. I mean, Whitehead has this beautiful phrase. Um, he says, we find ourselves in a buzzing world amid a democracy of fellow creatures. So in some ways, he's, he's a pluralist. He's not a monist. You know, everything is connected. But and here, I think Whitehead is inheriting the American philosopher William James, uh, who, who his last lecture series was published as a book called A Pluralistic Universe. Yeah, I have it. Um, and James says, like, yes, everything is connected. Um, but not everything is connected to everything else in the same way. Yeah. Everything connected in a sort of strung along way. So it could be to get from this thing to that thing. You can't just go, you know, straight from one to the other. You have to go through a series of other connections or nodes, right? So there's a web-like nature to reality. Everything is interrelated, um, but it's interrelated in, um, you know, to so have things in relationship, they can't just be one. They have to somehow have some independence. And so, you know, Whitehead's whole ontology, I think the reason it's difficult to understand is not only because of the processual dimension of it. We're so used to thinking of things that just are what they are and that that identity persists through time unproblematically. Um, it's hard enough to think in process terms, but the relationality of Whitehead's um, ontology is also counterintuitive, at least for our you know, materialistic common sense. Because so Whitehead a, is, yeah, on, I mean, he's, he's really saying that we exist inside of each other and that literally your past experience, um, the perished or expired moments of your experience are radiated to me. I receive them. They become part of my present moment of experience. So I'm literally inheriting um, your past. It becomes what I am, you know, and this happens in a reciprocal way. I don't so that, get that. I don't get that. So say that again. What is that? I don't, I'd like to understand um, what that means. It's how Whitehead thinks of causality, causal relationship. And for him, energy and emotion are, are like the same thing. So physical energy is um, the transmission of emotion in Whitehead's universe, right? He's a panpsychist. And so when he thinks of how um, perceiving beings like you and I relate to each other, um, in each moment, you know, you're having an experience, it arises and perishes. And when it arises, it's subjective and immediate for you. When it perishes, it gets radiated out to me. And then in my next moment of subjective immediacy, I'm receiving your past experience. And it's like, it's like the material out of which I realize my own new subjective moment of experience. You mean if I share that with you or anyway? If you talk, obviously, if we're in a conversation, but in, yeah. in the more physical way, the energy that we're made out of is, 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 is vibrating and it's radiating out. You're radiating to me and I'm radiating to you and um, we absorb one another. And what I become in each moment is in part what you were in the past and what the whole past environment was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think this is very similar. So I have a, I have a funny thing with, I'm, I'm a kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I am really of like, but I don't, I'm just a strange, curious guy who's lived this oddball life. But, um, so, so my way I can't, when I'm really working, which is all the time right now, 
I can't um, read too much. I, I have to work in a different way. I have to, to, to really just follow what's coming. It's like things, things are being, I'm listening to something and questioning and listening. And then afterwards I, I kind of go back and find like, Oh, hang on. This is similar to, you know, but I, I, t I tend to get the information from the inside rather than from the outside and then find it on the outside later. So Whitehead was one of these and I knew about Whitehead obviously. And you know, he'd been around forever. Um, I'd find him, I've tried reading him, found him difficult. Um, but realized as I was writing soul story that there seemed to be but partly because of the process philosophy, because of the, the foundation of my philosophy and soul story is that everything that time is reality, that there's yeah. a time stream. Yeah. And that's exactly. very, yeah. very, very similar to, to, to Whitehead. So I, I, I looked up, looked him up and got, and basically I just sat and looked at his picture for a long time and fell in love with him yeah. and felt like, Oh, you're a family. I'm, I'm, you're part of this same thing aren't you uh, how nice mm. and mm. and uh so i have a strange kind of emotional connection with with him because of that yeah so so you've got the so the time things are similar so so the way i would try and say i think what you've just said for, for whitehead would be for me time is nothing's perishing it's like it's gone but it's still there everything's accumulating and then this is riding on the moment then is is riding on the the coexistence of the past and the possible this this uh, this ever expanding the wisdom of the universe the matrix of information which is moving us on something new but yeah. that has reached this level of psyche and by psyche again i i, I have a different take on panpsychism because it, i don't want to use the word psyche for atoms but they do see i do think i agree with them i think they have subjectivity and sure. that and that there's a, the, I think, would you say, I'm going to say a few things and then you tell me whether they're, they're similar or different. So I've been thinking recently that, may, that is what Whitehead means by an occasion. Is that similar to what I'm exploring when I go, look, everything is, there is no objective world and subjective world. There's the meeting of subject and object on every level. And, there's, and that what exists is always that. It's always the objective information subjectively perceived, always. Yeah. And that that's, that that movement and then we've reached this level of doing it on what i call psyche or soul this non-material level of meaning of transmaterial really it's gone beyond materiality and we're in it right now mm. and on that level i think we're connected objectively just like we are on this level so absolutely that we're sharing information with each other as much on that level as we are in this level and in that way it does feel like yeah the information which has arisen here is going to be shared with everyone actually because it's a communal space it's a what it's a it's an, another ecology it's just an ecology of soul like this is an ecology of life yeah yeah that's beautiful and it's definitely very a very white headian vision i mean you know when he describes experience he says it's perpetually perishing he's actually getting that term from john locke but in whitehead's metaphysical scheme to say that experience is perpetually perishing doesn't mean it doesn't last or that it's not still present in some way. Um, you know, his, his vision of reality is this perpetual oscillation between subjective immediacy and objective immortality. Um, he likes to invent new terms and new phrases too. I know, it's kind of he's, funny. I just feel like, yeah, okay, we suffer from the same problem here. Yes. Um, so what, you know, what concrescence is, it's like Whitehead's most um, 
important new term. It's the growing together of the already actualized past with the not yet actualized future or the potential future into um, a novel moment of self-enjoyment, as a phrase he uses, or of, of experience. So the immortality um, of the past is yeah. because it's fixed. It's, it's done. It's there forever. Right. Oh, this it's is kind same. of, it's this like is, a fossil. Yeah, yeah, this is exactly the same. And yeah. I would see that, I mean, the, the metaphor I've been, I think this, that vision of the past is quite similar to Rupert Sheldrake's or mm -hmm. um, um, uh, the Charles Purse and people like that. But the, the, yeah. the I think. Um, it is. I was, least, it's funny. I was just emailing with Rupert this morning because he's oh, really? writing about Whitehead and he's like, how, does this sound like something Whitehead would agree with? And he's like, yes, it does. <laughs> um, so Rupert's been studying Whitehead, you know, for, for years. So there's yes. definitely similarity there. And, we, and so does, does, does Whitehead, so, so for me, the, the image that I use more and more now, because I think in terms of uh, the word information, I think is a good term for us now for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. oh, dangerous also, but, but mm -hmm. also useful. Mm -hmm. It just feels like using that metaphor. It feels like what's what's happening is that through the process, through time, the accumulation of time, that information is forming. You know, there's the the Rupert and Charles and all those the habits of nature, but actually, I'm thinking like algorithms of nature, or, the, or if you want a more spiritual term, the wisdom of nature. It's like it's building, it's learning, and it's learning how to do this, then it's learning how to do this, and look, oh, it knows how to do this now. And that yeah. there's a con continual movement and everything, you know, now I will be different and I will have learned a whole load of things from, from this conversation. And that that is the way that there is a tendency towards greater and greater emergence of novelty, to take Whitehead's lovely line. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and th that's almost inevitable in the process. Is that right, do you think, for him? Oh, yeah. I mean, he even uses this, this phrase that you like so much, the, the, the idea of the... Um, um, time as cumulative or the accumulation of time. I mean, that's he right. He uses that? Reality. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. How wonderful. Now, I'm just following his foot, you know, in his slipstream. I'm just coming <laughs> up behind in his slipstream. That's from, he's made it easy for me. How wonderful. That's, yeah. that's, that's what, now tell me this. This is just a, this is just a kind of a little bit of, I just w wonder, you know, read it and I thought, is that true? Mm -hmm. I read that he invented the word creativity. Yeah, I'm not, I've read that too. And I haven't myself gone and like, I guess nowadays with Google, you can search all the books published for the last few hundred years uh, and see if when that word was first used, but he was at least the first one to use it in a way that applied it beyond just human beings. To refer to the non-human world as creative, um, and to say that creativity is a principle beyond just, you know, thinking about what artists have or something, that is definitely new. Whether he invented the, you know, taking creation and, and you know, turning it into creativity, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm happy to believe it, but I, I, don't, I don't usually say that because I don't have the evidence to back that up. But. So you, are you okay for us to keep exploring Whitehead for a bit? Is that, is that okay with, with you? Sure. I'm not bored with them yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, just a, it's just a real delight to be able to speak to you, but also to speak to someone with this who's, who's engaged with this in a way that I haven't. Um, because I'm also aware that he has a theology as mm. well, oh, yeah. and, and obviously so do I.
So one of the things for me has been, okay, look, this is the ground that it's coming from. I don't, I don't really see any more a beginning, to be honest with you. I see a constant process of becoming, but the, the, that what's becoming, if I go right to the depth of it now, there is something that everything has in common. There's one thing and that's being even the empty space exists. It's like it, it, there's, there's a, it has no qualities. There's a formless being, which is becoming everything. Yeah. And, and, and so that, so that the ground for me is, you know, the big shift for me over the last few years has been stopping using the conventional spiritual thing of, Oh, the ground is consciousness or anything like that, or a divinity It's like, ah, oh, no, the ground is something which exists. And it isness, if you like, use the Zen term. It's, it just, it's, it, it, that is becoming everything. It's the potentiality for everything. And, and, that, and that's a kind of Brian Swim, actually, um, was, was the first person I came across who talked about, you know, where does the universe come from? Well, the potentiality for the universe. And, yeah. and, and there was something about that that, well, oh, that's good. So, so the, the ground for me is that kind of, what is the simplest thing I can imagine? Something which is but has no qualities other than existence. In this process of, emergent process of becoming more and more and more and heading towards the whole thing conscious of itself hmm. which yeah. is god by any other name and uh, so it, the, the universe is flowering into god rather than coming from it because it's becoming the most emergent thing it's not coming from the most emergent thing it's becoming the most emergent thing how does that sit with yourself first and then also with with whitehead or either way do it whichever way you want yeah um well certainly my I, there's a tradition in theology that um in in i think it's not just in western and judeo-christian theology but but really it's pretty much it seems global this notion that um the divine creates out of nothing um that the divine is is all powerful and creates out of nothing uh, this this physical universe. Um, it's more prominent certainly in the Judeo Christian tradition, but there are versions of it in all in all in many traditions, I'll say. Um, and that always struck me as um, problematic because I mean, there's the problem of evil, right? If there's an all powerful, all good God who creates a world that has evil in it, then it seems like there must have been a flaw in God to begin with, because what gives, right? But what Whitehead does with his process theology is imagine a God that, um, as he puts it, suffers with creation. Yeah. Um, and Whitehead's God is, he describes God as a creature of creativity. So it's pretty heterodox, if not downright heretical, to describe God as a creature. At least, you know, Whitehead's coming out of a, an Anglican family. His, his father and grandfather were both um, Anglican ministers and um, educators uh, so he's calling god a creature uh, and saying that creativity is really really the ultimate and his god also is um uh, polar his god has these two phases uh just like our experience for whitehead is sort of phasic um god is phasic there's what he calls the primordial nature of god which sounds a lot like what you mean by being but it might be different. So maybe I'll describe what Whitehead means by his primordial pole of God, and he has the consequent pole, which sounds a lot like this emergent God that you're speaking to. 
um, but for Whitehead, the primordial nature of God is um, God as the, the, the first creature of creativity that sort of um, gives some character to infinite potential. Infinite potential on its own is, you could say it's akin to just chaos. There's nothing definite happening. It's just mm -hmm. infinite possibility, right? So God's uh, primordial nature gives some definite character to possibility. So hang on, so is there two things there? There's possibility and God? Um, God is an actual entity for Whitehead. So, so, there's, God, so there's, there's possibility and there's and the God and they're two different things for him? I would say yes. Um, okay. Creativity is pure possibility. It's one way of saying it. And that God is the, is the initial, um, it's, it's what's first realized by that infinite possibility. So God oh. is a precipitate of pure possibility. So God is the first possibility. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way of saying it. And that first possibility then is, it sets the, it's almost like a, you know, the, the theologian Catherine Keller calls it a cosmic genetic code or something. And it, it sort of just sets a template that is repeated throughout the rest of, of the history of creation in each of us. So each being then contains this um, initial, um, Whitehead calls it the initial eros, like the Greek term for like desire. It's this initial sense of um, something, the, the desire for something definite out of pure possibility. Okay, so and that's that, quite similar to what Ken, was, Ken Wilbur was saying to me when I uh -huh. sat down with him. I think probably he got right. that from, from, Perhaps, from Whitehead. Yeah, I would from have Whitehead. thought so, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, carry on. I'm, I'm just, I'll, I'll want to push that a little bit. But. So that's the initial eros. That's the primordial pull of God. And then yeah. there's the consequent pull, or what Whitehead calls the final beauty. And if the... If, <laughs> I if like the, this now. Yeah. <laughs> if, so God's primordial pull, Whitehead says, is unconscious. It's God existing by God's self, separate from the world. God's consequent pull, though, is God... Um, with the world is God experiencing everything that happens in the whole history of the universe and somehow finding a way to make it consistent with that initial sense of what the best possibility is. Now, um, evil then, what we perceive as evil, is um, a function of the fact that, that God is as subject to creativity as the rest of us and that each creature has its, its own so, connection. Say, say to that, li that line one more time, Matt. God is as subject to creativity as the rest of us. Subject to creativity. Okay. What does that mean? Which is to say that um, God's initial sense of the best possibility um, wasn't... Creativity continues on. Okay, so, his first, so God's first idea weren't his best, like the rest of us. Yeah. It still it needed work, and and God's consequent nature after responding to all the free decisions of the creatures of the world is becomes conscious. The primordial pull is not conscious. The consequent pull becomes conscious because it's responsive to the freedom of something other, other than itself, and coming into relationship with something other than itself, which is, um, you know, if God is um whitehead says trying to hold the world's 
together and save the world as a poet tries to save um, their experience, to save it in the sense of elevate it to a level of um, aesthetic harmony that maybe without the poet's expressive um, and without the poet's longing, it wouldn't be harmonious, but the poet is able to um, give some interpretation to what occurs such that it, it lifts its beauty to the surface. Uh, and so God is constantly trying to, it's one God. It seems like there's two gods here, but it's one God for Whitehead. That's the difficult part of his theology. And no, I, I, can, I can completely get that. Um, so, so, yeah. so let me, can I, can I um, clarify some things or, or it, what he's, what you're describing is uncannily similar to stuff that I was writing about 20 years ago or almost 20 years ago. Um, where I was following much more of a, um, I, I wasn't using the word God then. I'd done that lots in my past. I almost became a, a friar, so God was close to me, but I'd abandoned that as a word because of all the problems with it. Taken on the Eastern translation and, of, you know, the idea of consciousness as this thing, which doesn't work for me at the moment, but, and put that at the beginning, but had this problem which was, yeah, but it's unconscious. <laughs> so I write about unconscious consciousness or um, mm. uh, I have this image of like, oh, well, imagine something where there's just light, it would be dark because there's nothing for the light to reflect on. And that way it's a kind of, an, so it's something. And, and that sounds very similar. So the, 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 journey, the archetypal journey that's been around for me for quite a few decades now, which sounds very similar, is that the journey is from an unconscious oneness through an increasingly conscious individuality to conscious oneness. And the conscious oneness is that primal conscious of itself, but through the individuality. It's, so it's a both and state. It's both individual and one. Mm -hmm. um, is that kind of the thing he's playing with, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, when, to say that God is subject to creativity is to say that there's this principle of unrest. Creativity is a principle of unrest and not even God can rest, you know? So God thought that it had created like the best possible world, but creativity keeps rushing on. And so God's now having to respond to again and again, the new decisions that creativity makes to manifest possibility into actuality. So, all right. Um, so now, now kind of leave, because Alfred's not here to, to, or he might show up, but um, yeah. to represent himself, but just with 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 you, Matt. So this mm -hmm. the problem I've had with my own view from the past has been to say increasingly, look, why am I calling this God, or what yeah. what is it, what quality? It's not conscious. What what is it? It well, it seems like it's not anything. And in a way, I mean, in, in Soul Story, I talk about I use Hegel's term. I call it spirit. And I go from primal spirit to a transcendent spirit. Now, I don't know what word you use. At the moment, I like being just because it feels like, yeah, that's the one quality that everything has. The one thing I feel like I don't feel comfortable with, and, and I felt this when I talked to Ken, is this idea of the, the eros. As, where does that come from? What is that? This kind of, it, it's like there's, there's the, the kind of, it's, the, it's the involution idea. It's like the falling down to rise up. And it, and it feels like, do we need that? Or actually, have we just got a process of forever rising up? That we've got a, a process where the, you know, there is no beginning. There's the beginning for our universe, but everything is coming from the past. 
everything's coming from what's already been formed and repeating it in a new way. And that, that, that I mean, it's impossible to question beginnings or not, but just like, forget that. That's, but just rather one thing, which is being in a constant process of becoming in which it reaches up to the more emergent and within a universe like ours, or here at least what it's doing is it's reaching up to something in which it's conscious of itself which it wasn't and that you could and when you do that once you've got god as the thing which is arising and conscious of itself then you can say well the whole thing's god it's always been god it's a bit like you know you were an egg and a sperm but now it's you we can say well that was you were the egg and sperm too it's all been you the whole time it's just there was no when the egg and sperm, there was no intentionality. There was no, it was completely different, but it was heading to you. And now it's arrived at you. You can go, oh, that's that whole that whole process of time is what you are or, or what your body is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so um, tempting to think of the history of the universe as a timeline. And like, there's a beginning at some definite moment in the past and it's it's heading off in some definite direction into the future and um i i think it's somehow ask we're being asked by a spirit or whatever to consider two diametrically opposed or what appear at first to be diametrically opposed perspectives which is this temporal one of a history that's finite with a definite beginning um and perhaps a definite ending and then this other axis of 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 reality that's the eternal rather than the temporal where um i mean to even talk about a beginning of time you realize it doesn't make sense because what came before that and um, before time (laughs) so there's a way that eternity intersects with time um all the time right so eternity is always participating and i mean that's the now uh, and there's a way in which, you know, for Whitehead, it's not like the primordial nature of God is in the past. It's no, not, no. That's, this is the same. That's, feel, that's when I say, look, being's here right now. And because right. it has no form, it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't change, it's, it's timeless. It's timeless and formless, and it's right here. And, and what's interesting to me from, my own, from what's got me into all of this, which is, sounds similar to you, it's been experience. Mm-hmm. It's just happened to me the other week in the most dramatic way I've ever had is that when my, when my attention goes right into that, this formless, I'm formless. <laughs> it's like the thing yeah. which is experiencing this, my being is that formless being from which every, which is the foundation now for everything that's arising. So, and that does, that's, that is non-temporal. It, it's just not, but it has no qualities. It feels like, or, or rather in itself it doesn't, but then when I reach up to it, it feels like, it it is what transcends and includes all possible all the every, all qualities. It is the it's the one thing which includes everything, and in that way, that sounds like what 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 Whitehead is saying is that there. Yeah. That, that's what I'm by God. That's what I mean by God. Now I mean when I touch that thing which is which of which I am a part, and and which right. everything is a aspect. Yeah, and it yeah. does feel utterly benign and totally beautiful, and. Mm. Well, love, really, love. Yeah, Whitehead says um, in Process and Reality that the uh, chief danger in philosophy is narrowness in the selection of evidence, 
And it's yeah. precisely because um, for understandable reasons, philosophers, they love words, they love explanations. They, they, they thought that what they were looking for was some sort of a, a sentence or collection of sentences that would explain the universe or the reality. And Whitehead, rather than saying that or thinking that the abstract could ever explain the concrete, he says, it's precisely the reverse. It's our concrete experience that could be, only, only our concrete experience could be the explanation that we're really seeking. We're seeking the elucidation of experience. We're not seeking some formula representative of experience or that would describe experience. We'd never be satisfied with that. Um, that's not what we really want. So, so did, did, he, did he have the idea in that, Matt, of what, uh, I, when I've written about it many years ago, the, of, a, of a gnosis? Did he have that? Because when I've said similar things to that, the point I've been making was that, you know, what the big revelation to me when I was a kid, when I had my first big awakening, was this is the answer and it's not words. And I, that's fundamental to me. That's the foundation and the words are like a map to try and describe everything. But the thing in which I, I understand is, is just a, sub, a sublime being, what I call yeah. deep awake. Did, did he have that, do you think? Did he, did he experience that? Does he talk about that? Yeah. Um, he does. I mean, he, he's, he's a mystic who also happened to be, uh, a, a rather, um, amazing mathematician. And a, yeah, I mean, and a logician. The work he did on logic and just amazing. Yeah. Cause the, you know, man. I'm sure you share this, this sort of temptation. It's like knowing that there is some ineffable mystery that it's, I mean, it's not that hard to contact, right? No. Assuming it's just like you're just there when 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 you direct your attention toward it, but then how do you point at it? And it's like there's this this at least for me, maybe it's I, you know I, I'm an especially mercurial person. I want to communicate about it. I want to yeah. point at it. I want to share it with people. And so the temptation is to immediately go into language, and it's really an enjoyable process. It can also be frustrating when there's misunderstanding because the words are just the fingers pointing at, at the moon. And, um, but I mean, it's, it's an inescapable temptation. And that's why for me, the, where, where I've ended up and it's, 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 you know, and I'm very, very grateful because it, it suits me is that he's got these two definite sides to what I do. There's a philosophical side. And then more importantly, there's an experiential side, which has been getting people together and going, okay, I'm going to talk about something and then we're actually going to experience it. Mm -hmm. And what has really shocked me over the last 20 years is it pretty much people do. And then you just look at their face and, and there's completely different, you know, when, when you actually go, Oh yeah, there's this huge, huge love. The whole universe is permeated by love. How did I miss that? Um, then there is a knowing something changes. You just got it in that moment. You may lose it. And certainly you will but yeah. you've had it and yeah. there's a new reference point then isn't there yeah and i think it's so important to do that type of work because at this moment in the history of of our species you know we've moved through you call it the soul crisis we're in the soul crisis yeah and it's both because of modern science but it's also because of the disorienting implications of evolution yeah it's also because of um the, the way that the, the universe has become disenchanted and the way that um, we've shifted into a more 
commodified, um, you know, understanding of what we're, what our values are. I mean, we're living under late, late capitalism. All of the social um, uh, pressure is pushing us to become more individual, but in a commodified kind of way. And that yeah. isolates us from one another. Um, and we're at this, this, um, crusting wave, right? And it's looking for a shore to crash on. And I think these types of encounters that people can have facilitated by people like you coming into a, um, a new kind of awareness of how, yeah, individuality is so important, so crucial. Um, but like rip the packaging off of this commodified form of individuality and discover, you know, what you're calling individuality, uh, discover a sense of, um, value that's deeper than what what the capitalist worldview suggests that it is value that's um deeper even than just anything merely human in the narrow sense of only being about our species because again like we are an organ of the earth our consciousness is an expression of a billion year process of evolution um and who and what we are as humans is not at all separate uh, from the oceans and from the forests. And I think relationship is not just something we need to discover with other human beings, right? I, um, I think that's so important. I really like the idea, by the way, that we're in the late capitalism. That sounds so optimistic. Yeah, you know, this is the late phase. You wait, it's almost over. I do hope so. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, and I really, because what I'm suggesting with the emergent picture, because I want to rescue... Um, having kind of tried to, to rescue the kind of non-dual thing and put it back into context with the, with the, uh, with the evolutionary, I also want to look at the, the other key elements in the esoteric traditions, the immortality of the soul, the, the, the dreamlike nature of existence, um, all those sort of things, and go, look, I, I, I think that's an, that itself has evolved and that, that this level of psyche has evolved as its own domain and exists now independently. But often I think people misunderstand me when I say that because it plays into often don't you find this with ideas that people latch on to something and then make it part of something they already know. And and yeah. you know, and it falls into that kind of dualism of, you know, that's now we've reached something. And it's not like that at all for me, because it's all it's all one time stream. It will forever be linked to the earth because it's come through the earth and returns to it. The whole thing is is all one thing. And right up towards you know transcendent divinity is all one thing, and so that individuality, what seems really on our agenda, is how the hell do we? It's like we're looking back at our own past in a way, when we're looking at the the natural world from which we've arisen. It's not; it's also present, of course, but and how we have a relationship with it, and and then in ourselves, where we we wrestle in our with in the as souls and as cultures with the fact that we've got everything we've been in us and we've been some pretty dark things yeah, and they're yeah. all still there and we have to come to an accommodation with them and, and transform yeah. them and move them on and find new ways to relate. And mm -hmm. it's a hell of a task, but it's, it's a beautiful one. Yeah. It's all one stream. And you know, it's like uh, part of our challenge I think is, um, reigniting a sense of genuine um, spiritual longing in people, even just that, that that's a possibility. I think people's 
um, apertures have so narrowed and our sense of possibility has been so foreclosed that we, uh, we don't even think that we just given up on meaning. Okay. So um, this, so what you've just said there, mm -hmm. that feels really important to me mm -hmm. as philosophers speaking now as two people who've ended up calling themselves philosophers, lovers of wisdom mm -hmm. of all the things we could be mm -hmm. because what seems to have, what, what it feels like, the the in, in the intellectual mainstream not in most of society actually but in the intellectual mainstream which which does have a huge effect it's become impossible to think certain thoughts and a lot of those thoughts are necessary if you want to spiritually awaken and that what we therefore need is a new intellectually credible story which can account for the things we found in science and blah 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 and also harmonize it with the reality of what spirituality has been talking about and if we could if, it, if it's intellectually robust enough then it can and it, then it can come into the mainstream and when i did my ted talk i thought damn it i'm just going to say this because I, I want it to be true yeah. which was you know i think there is you know there is something coming and and it, there will be another shift and this will be a big part of the shift when it when it comes which is a, a way just like that shift that happens with science where it's suddenly we were in a new world that a shift which enables us to keep all of that and then go oh and this is not this is real <laughs> and not only is it real but it's really the, the leading edge of what is real and yeah. and we should we should be playing so much attention to it because right. it's where all of the meaning of life is it's where it's who we are mm -hmm. that that that's what we so people can think these thoughts because at the moment they can't a lot of people don't go here because they just think only an idiot would do that yeah well i think it's really um i really agree with with you that there's this um dimension of like we need a worldview transformation and that there's theoretical and philosophical and intellectual work to be done to come up with a credible story i also think there's um a a lot a very much more practical side to this um that's rooted in um like political economy and but also in in ritual and in particular grief ritual like the the the, the accumulation of the past right is such that and i think it's unique for for each people at different around, around the planet um like the united states of america has its own unique social history and traumas that are not in the, the, the time stream that we're inheriting as a people that we can't spiritually awaken until we've, as a collective, looked at those knots, untangled them and had, um, you know, we could think of it in terms of like restorative justice or um, the, the ancient Israelites used to have uh, lament um, rituals where they would collectively, like in a cathartic way. And the Greeks had this with their, um, tragedians where there's a, a release or a catharsis or a processing of this knotted energy from the past and I feel like human beings um, have reached a place now where we can very clearly see I think the ideal that we would like to achieve as a species I mean even the idea of a human is um, pretty new like the idea that we're more than just the, the, the nation or the tribe or yeah. you know yeah. The locality that we emerge from it's a pretty new idea maybe it started in the axial age but it's really come onto the scene that most people have a sense for oh yeah 
wouldn't it be great if we could all just be human together? Um, but we're not ready for that yet because of all this unprocessed grief and trauma uh, and injustice that hasn't been um, looked at, honestly. You know, so I, I, I feel like that's part of the journey of spiritual awakening too, right? I, I think you put that, I think that's the clearest I've heard that said. I think you really did a great job of, uh, I could really, really see it. I mean, obviously I've been around it for a while, but what you just said just captured it and makes perfect sense. I think makes perfect sense that that's the process we're in. Well, yeah. it's, it's all of it. We're, you know, it's like it, that, for that's a huge, a huge part of it. Just massive, just massive. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that. What was it you said about grief? Grief rituals, did you say? You said grief you, rituals. You, yeah. you used the word grief. It, it really came to life when you used that word. The understanding yeah. of it just, just just opened up for me. It was a beautiful well, beautiful moment. Yeah, one of my teachers um, at CIS actually. I was a student here first. Okay. Uh, Stanislav Graf. Oh um, right. Psychedelic psychotherapist, um, yeah. psychiatrist. Um, he used to say, and still does say that. Uh, the full experience of an emotion is the funeral pyre of that emotion. And so when I say grief which ritual, I'm thinking of um, giving I don't know what that means, what, what, what Stanislav so, was saying. In other words, um, uh, he would talk about the way that trauma gets, lo gets lodged in our bodies physically, but physiologically, but also in our, our emotional body. Traumas are like stuck energy, right? And that we might think, Oh, if we want to move on from that, we should we should just leave it alone. But um, he invites people, whether it's through breath work or through psychedelic journeying, to go into those traumatic emotions and those wounds, because the full experience of those wounds, just fully dropping into them without fear of being destroyed, uh, burns them off in a way. So the full experience of an emotion is the funeral pyre. Okay. In other words, it okay. lifts yeah, it out. Yeah. 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 And that, 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 I think that's very similar to what I'm exploring with the idea of passivity, that the past has a weight to it, which is a yeah. good thing because it keeps everything the same, but it's yeah. a bad thing because it keeps everything the same. And that, <laughs> and, and that we, you know, that there's a, that, that, that there's repetition and creativity playing it out and that, 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 that the, 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 what has formed will repeat itself and right. that we all suffer from that. We suffer from that collectively and that, that things in the past, which have, which have, done that will repeat or they will play themselves out it's that's the algorithm now and that that yeah. to use that rather less attractive metaphor i like the burning one but you know using yeah. the, yeah, the, yeah. the you know you, you have to go back and reprogram it you know it's yeah. like you have to you know sort it out transmute it let's use the let's use the alchemy one it's rather nice we have to take the lead and turn it into gold yeah i just feel like you know we need to do some triage looking at our our collective situation right now um, we're in the emergency room and what's unfolding like at the level of politics and political economy is if it continues on its current path will make it very difficult for the awakening of individuals, I think. And so it's like, how do we triage and say, okay, what, what do we need to attend to immediately so as to protect the conditions that make spiritual awakening possible? Not that these are separate endeavors. No, no, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Though. I just feel like, um, you know, you know, earlier you were speaking to the way that um, the intelligentsia and, and the um, 
the experts in our society, right, are kind of closed off to some of the key ideas that would allow us to escape this disenchanted nightmare. Um, but the average person is maybe more emotionally and intellectually open because yeah. they don't have set ideas that they've had trained into them at Harvard yeah. or Yale or whatever, or Oxford or Cambridge, but they're, they're less sensitive to, you know, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like spiritual awakening and the journey of enlightenment is less available because they're just worried about paying the rent uh, and finding a new job or um, they're having chest pain and they're worried about the emergency room bill if they were to go to the hospital for it. And I think a lot of people um, are, they don't have the material conditions that make spiritual awakening possible. And so, so I, when, I, when think, I was yeah. in my, when I was much younger, um, this is just a little silly anecdote from my life, just because it made me think of it. But when I was much younger, um, 20, um, I had a foray into Marxism. Mm -hmm. And the, and the reason that I, the, the way I worked it together with my mysticism was, was it just felt like, yeah, what we need to do is create a society in which people can awaken. And that has to be a society, it has to be a, a society which is social and, and communal and which can allow the conditions because it, you're absolutely right it, it's much easier it seems having said that you know and maybe this is why it's easier now because what strikes me about the culture we live in is that you know god knows there's a lot of stresses on people and everyone thinks it's all terrible in some respects it is but in other respects it's the best it's ever been by a long way for mm. human beings i mean we, we live in the most incredible conditions compared to those of our forebears that struggled long and hard to get us here. And, and we're, we're enjoying the fruits of their creativity and their, their labor. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So you'd think uh, yeah. there is a certain, we, and, 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 you know, one would have to say that, you know, although religion's on decline, in decline, I, I think genuine spirituality is on the ascent, wouldn't you say? Even if it's just in a small way? Well, there's certainly more people pursuing it than ever before. I mean, just in terms of real numbers. And I do agree that it's so double-sided, right? And paradoxical that the average middle-class person, even if the middle class is shrinking now, is, is living a life with the conveniences that only kings and queens would have enjoyed a few centuries ago, right? So, not even kings and queens, yeah. Right. <laughs> not, they couldn't do this. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have refrigerators and... and uh, television sets and stuff uh or or the internet that allows us to talk exactly on the other side of the world so i certainly don't want to um overlook that but you know there's another sense in which right it's as though um since the industrial revolution or maybe just the information uh revolution with all these new technologies there's a certain form of um, short-sightedness to it. It's almost as though we've um, created this fancy spaceship and loaded it up with fuel and blasted off into space and given no concern to um, the blast radius, what was being uh, burnt to a crisp as we took off and no thought to how we might run out of fuel. And then like, we're I just think, up I think that's exactly what we've done. <laughs> And I, so, I think it's, it's not because we just didn't give it any thought, it's because it never occurred to us. And that's right. the whole problem, isn't it? The whole problem yeah. is that every time we do something new mm -hmm. it has consequences we never imagined yeah and, and then you know, we yeah. have to deal with the consequences we never imagined and, and you know brian i think 
Brian Swim has a, a way of thinking about um, this moment. It's a, and he's inheriting like Thomas Berry's work yeah. and they're, Thomas Berry and Brian are both inheriting Terre de Chardin's work, yeah. uh, the Jesuit paleontologist. And there's this notion of the whole earth going through a phase transition as the nosphere emerges, right? And it's, it's not just a spiritual transformation, like the very materiality of the earth is being totally um, remade by the presence of human beings right now. Um, and so whatever's happening, there's, there's, a, there's a way of looking at that as, um, wow, what a loss. Like, did, was mass extinction really necessary for human beings to bring forth the nosphere? Well, uh, maybe it was. And maybe the form of creativity and consciousness that will inherit the earth um, will be so beautiful and wonderful that it will see how it was necessary and worth it. Um, there have been mass extinctions before too, so it's not like this is the first time the earth has gone through a convulsion like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a time to be alive. Uh, there's so much happening all at once and we're all desperately searching for the pattern that will explain it. My, uh, my own hunch is, is, is what you said earlier that kind of looking back that actually that that there's the hope that we can we can that, that we don't have to <laughs> completely trash something for this beautiful thing to arrive but that actually the arriving of the beautiful thing will make us see that we don't want to trash where it's come from that that, that there's a kind of a feedback from that of wisdom yeah. um and that we're on the cusp of that taking hold because that would be a a, mar a marvelous thing mm -hmm. yeah. having said that right now we've just gone in the opposite direction where we are and one must there we are oh so. in the uk you mean <laughs> is that what you mean pardon well you mean we've just gone in the opposite direction do you mean in the uk or in the, you... in the uk oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 no, yeah, yeah. We're, we're basically we're, we're in the uk we're just we just follow on slightly behind america at the moment that's our that's our little thing that's been going well on. i hope that's true and that this isn't a premonition you know what the uk elections are a premonition for what happens in the united well, states well there's a two-way brexit thing. was for trump so yeah, yeah, that's true too, isn't it? Oh God. Well, there's definitely an interfertilization that happens. Yeah, but that's a whole other conversation. But, but it is another conversation, and it, it's really the same thing, isn't it? It's that sense mm -hmm. in which, just as for individuals, you know, I can have them. I had the most sublime experience of my life three or four weeks ago, and that affected me and has always been with me. And and uh, but the other, you know, three or four days ago, I thought, oh. I've completely lost that yeah. <laughs> and now I found it again a bit more and I'm in relationship with it. And it's like that is collectively, isn't it as well? These things rise up, we think they're done and then they come back and we go yeah. through them and that's what well, there's a lesson in here in the political situation in the UK. And it's the same thing all over the world. I think that in this rush to um, realize this universal ideal of humanity, um, which has been driven largely by globalization and the forces of the capitalist market. Um, in that rush, we've, I think, gone too fast and belittled and neglected the sense in which human beings need roots. And they need, you know, we are beings who are born into a familial matrix, a cultural matrix. And, you know, the nation is certainly a modern construct. It's not that old. And, uh, but there's a sense of 
that people get meaning from being rooted in lineage, right? And it's very easy for more cosmopolitan people to, to just um, shame them for being racist or something. And I'm not saying there's not some of that going on, but it's, you know, racism and populism, nationalism, they're resurgent, nativism, they're resurgent because we were rushing too quickly for globalization and neglecting the sense in which, wait a minute, we have this whole past to inherit and we have to do it with more reverence, I think, than um, the commodification of culture and this rush to a universal humanity was allowing. So that's an incredibly, sure we... uh, that's an incredibly wise thing to say, Matt. I think that's, that's, that's really, and really helpful to me in the UK right now, because I think that you're <laughs> entirely, in, entirely right. So that we, we must, we must stop. And, and I can't tell you what a delight it's been to meet you and to talk with you. And, and I'm so pleased that you uh, initiated this to happen and that we're now connected and, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I hope we can nurture that connection. Oh yeah. Likewise, Tim, uh, it's been great to talk to you and uh, I look forward to more and keep up, keep up the good work. And yeah, likewise. I've only skimmed um, a couple of your more recent books and I, I really love the style and the poetry of it. And I look forward to uh, getting more into that because, you know, I'm, I'm such in a, the mindset of a scholar now and I'm always reading as I'm writing and citing this and like situating and the way that you're pursuing um, the expression of wisdom is so refreshing and, and liberating in a way. And so I want to, I'm going to explore your writing more deeply and, and try to cultivate that um, in myself as well. So, yeah, it's Wonderful. great to talk. <laughs> so uh, the line which is coming in my head, you'll probably know the right version of it, but it, 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 uh, it, I think it permeated our whole discussion, is I think in one of my books, Mystery Experience, I think it was, I quoted Whitehead, where he said something like, philosophy starts and ends in wonder. Philosophy begins in wonder, and at the end, when philosophic thought has done its best, the wonder remains. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Perfect. Thanks, Matt. Have a great night. And you have a good day. Take care. <laughs>